Welcome to the Joyful Catholic Leaders Show, where you'll hear stories and insights from those who lead with faith. From the seminary, to the parish, to the classroom, to the office, to the sports field, and everywhere in between. Today, we're joined by Father Joseph Taphorn, rector of the St. Paul Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, and a man who has served in a variety of leadership capacities within the church. Father, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Phil. Great to be here. Well, great to have you. The quick rundown on Father Taphorn before we start grilling him with all the, the tough questions. Uh, not really. We'll have a great conversation, Father. But named rector of the St. Paul Seminary in 2018 and started in January of 2019. Founding pastor and director at the St. John Paul II Newman Center at the University of Nebraska, Omaha. He started that role in 2016. He's an Omaha native. A variety of leadership capacities with the Archdiocese of Omaha before working at the university. He has a licentiate. Am I saying that right, Father? Licentiate. You got licentiate. it right. That's I was right. pretty close. In canon law from the Pontifical Gregorian University in Rome. He's ordained to the priesthood in 1997 and graduated from Benedictine College in 1993. Other than that, you don't really seem very qualified to lead a seminary. Well, I'm delighted to be here. And of course, shout out here to a fellow Raven. Yes, so. go Ravens. Absolutely. And Ravens a fellow Omaha. Together. Yes, a fellow Omahaan as well. So, so lots in common with Father, um, at least in terms of our roots. Um, in terms of holiness, I think the comparisons might stop there. But uh, that's why I'm interviewing you and not the other way around. So, um, so really hard-hitting, uh, complex question to start, Father. What is a rector and what do you do? Yeah, great question, and um, it is a good question because it, I feel like every day is a little bit different, yeah. but if I had to summarize the role of rector, at least for our listeners, maybe to think about um, sort of like being a pastor, but instead of being pastor of a parish, I'm pastor of a seminary. So it would be uh, the priest who's been um, named, designated by the bishop to uh, run, kind of oversee the overall operations of the seminary. So that goes from uh, the administrative side to the formation side to uh, interfacing with the public, kind of all the kinds of things that you would expect um, a, a leader to do. And of course, I'm assisted by many great folks and great staff, yourself included, and uh, good faculty members. So it's certainly not a job I do by myself, but uh, but really I'm privileged to serve in that role here. Sure. Well, thank you. Appreciate the kind words. So in the St. Paul, Minnesota uh, market here, there's actually two seminaries. There's St. Paul Seminary and then St. John Vianney College Seminary. St. Paul Seminary would be considered the Major seminary. Doesn't mean it's better, but what is the difference between a major and a minor seminary? That's right. And many people don't realize that we have two seminaries here in, yep. in the Archdiocese of St. Paul, two seminaries here on the campus of the University of St. Thomas. Um, that's, that's, um, it's really unique, and I think it really is, shows a strength and vitality in the local church here. So, as the name implies, the St. John Vianney College Seminary would be for those uh, young men of college age who are going through their undergraduate uh, degree and, and formation here that again happens in the context of being students at St. Thomas. And um, so they have a house of uh, where they live together, essentially a, a residential uh, residence, a dorm on, on the main campus. And, and the young men there take classes in philosophy or Catholic studies and all the regular requirements of undergraduate. Uh, our seminary, which is on the what's known now as the South Campus of St. Thomas, originally was owned uh, by the St. Paul Seminary. I like to point out that Archbishop Ireland um, founded two institutions over 125 years ago, uh, the seminary and St. Thomas. And so we, we have a long common shared history. Um, in more recent times, um, have, have uh, affiliated more strongly together. And so what was the original uh, seminary property in that area south of, of Cretan there uh, was sold largely to the university back in the 1980s. And then the seminary 
St. Paul Seminary has kind of kept its footprint there. Um, but a major seminary would be then for those men that are closer to ordination. It would be um, kind of using some of the language of the Vatican, what we call the configuration stage sure. of priestly formation, the, the, the stage of formation most proximate to priestly ordination. Typically it's four years, uh, give or take, could be six years, depending if they have some philosophy credits that still need to happen. And in that stage of formation, then um, we are really imparting the theological proximate uh, courses in theology and formation to help the man be more deeply configured and then ultimately to petition to ordination for uh, diaconate and priesthood. So it's um, the major seminary because it probably because it ties to what we call the major orders of diaconate and priesthood. Sure. Well, thanks for breaking all that down for us. Um, how do guys end up at, at the seminary, particularly St. Paul Seminary? How does that process work? Sure. So we always work with um, a diocese, and they, they, a man needs to be sponsored by a bishop. So seminarians are affiliated or they're associated or attached to a local diocese. In our case, at the St. Paul Seminary, we largely have dioceses from the upper Midwest. So we have 15 different dioceses, uh, 14 and one religious order that send seminarians to us. So in a certain sense, my client, I didn't, not the best word, would be a bishop or a vocation director. Vocation director would be the priest who works for a bishop. Those are the ones who, who sort of identify young men within their diocese who, who would be suitable candidates. There's an application process to be simply a seminarian for a given diocese. And then the second step would be if that bishop chooses to um, contract with us to do that proximate formation and theological studies prior to, to ordination, then he would send uh, men to us, and then we have our own application process as well. So, yeah, it, it's uh, basically, it's not just, we don't take anybody, you have to be sponsored, yeah. and, and there's a, actually a fairly rigorous screening process. Sure, and working very closely with not just the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minneapolis, but a bunch of other dioceses that send here. That's as well. right, so our principal. Uh, customer, client, again, I need a better word than yeah. that, sending diocese would be here, the Archdiocese yeah. of St. Paul. But as I mentioned, we have uh, 15, 14 other bishops and superiors that, that we also deal with. So the most of our guys, you know, the, the, the most of any one diocese would be locally, which makes sense. The Archdiocese here is a very strong local church and is blessed with many seminarians. So we're certainly privileged to serve those men. And then in addition, um, we, we are constantly uh, inviting and, and really um, proud of what we do, and I think that uh, excited to have other bishops uh, sending men to us as well. Yeah, absolutely. So you've told me in the past that you actually wish in some, time, in some ways you could go back to seminary today. Why is that? Well, no, I should probably qualify <laughs> that. So it's, uh, I don't really want to go back to seminary. Sure. I, I think maybe the, the, the sense there is it's changed a lot. You know, I mean, I went to, I'll be at 25 years of priest this spring, and, Congratulations. And, yeah, really, thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And thinking back, of course, to my own seminary experience, which actually was quite positive, yeah. so I don't have any regrets. Um, but I think about the formation and, and what we did then, and then, and then the efforts and the resources and um, just the wonderful people and environment and uh, fraternal life and community and expertise and intentionality, I think, that, that marks priestly formation today is certainly... Uh, more advanced than it was, you know, back in, in the mid to late 90s when I went through seminary. So, yeah, in a certain sense, I, I, I just think about how blessed uh, the men are today. Now, maybe they don't think so, and I know things can get burdensome, and it's grass is always greener a sure. little bit, you know, but uh, on the other side. But I do think that our seminarians today um, are growing and appreciating and, uh, and, and are, are thriving in what's being offered, and I imagine that... Um, yeah, just proud of what we're doing. And, and yeah, part of me does kind of think back and say, 
I, I wish some of these things were available then, but, but uh, yeah, God always provides and, and uh, I'm confident in that. Yeah, no doubt. Things continue to evolve and we can always right. improve and get better. So what kind of men are you seeing come through the seminary and then go on to be good holy priests, you know? Different personalities, people come from different backgrounds. There's That's not right. one magic formula to a guy that means he's going to be a good priest. But are there some common common threads that you've kind of seen in your time as rector? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, there, early on I remember someone asking, well, what's sort of the ideal seminarian or what's kind of the model seminarian? Yeah. And, and I, I push back a little bit on that in the sense of I, I think it's ultimately it's, it's who God calls. And, um, sure. But we really want men who, who can come fully alive, can be fully themselves, have the natural gifts that order them towards ministry. They, they're going to have a, um, a solid uh, sort of, uh, we say grace builds on nature from, from our patron here, St. Thomas Aquinas. So w- what is the man himself bringing in his natural humanity and his natural personality? If he can submit that to the work of formation, especially to the power of the Holy Spirit to uh, transform and perfect, and then the addition of other gifts, we really want men who are fully alive, who are healthy, who can establish good relationships. Um, St. John Paul II, recording this today on his feast day, uh, says that um, the, the human personality of the priest should either, will either be a bridge or an obstacle to others meeting the person of Jesus Christ. So we obviously want men who can be a bridge to connect them to God. So is their human personality such that they're able to maintain and establish good relationships? So what I've seen, that's a long way of answering your question, in the men coming through, really are just normal guys, and that's yeah. what we want. We want normal men, yeah. we want healthy men, uh, guys who can laugh, people can make relationships, people who, who don't take themselves too seriously. At the same time, we want somebody who knows himself, knows his weaknesses, um, can kind of, we, we talk about self-knowledge, leads to self-possession, leads to self-gift. So this whole process of formation helps a man come to terms with who he is, his natural gifts, his flaws, his weaknesses. He sort of owns them and can kind of name them and isn't sort of dominated in an unruly way or somehow um, subject to um, his personality sort of uh, or the weaknesses kind of defining who he is, but he can kind of name those and then work towards greater integration. And then finally, to be able to make a gift of himself to to, to the church. And it's not unlike um, you're a, a married man, not unlike that process of, of a man coming of age. Um, if you're too young, you're really not, you know, we kind of discourage teenagers from getting married sure. because they're just not quite mature enough to make a self-gift. Uh, but when a man grows up and matures and learns and is now able to put others' needs before his own and the needs of his family, his wife and children, um, God's giving him that capability of making a gift of himself uh, in marriage. And it's a similar way in priesthood. Uh, we need to be able to give ourselves for behalf in, uh, of, of the flock in pastoral charity, uh, in imitation of Christ. And so we want men who are capable of doing that. And again, I see it. I'm edified every day uh, by the seminarians when I see them pray uh, in chapel, when we have conversations on the lunch table, when there's evening recreation, uh, hearing about their pastoral work in the parishes. You sort of see all these pieces coming together. And there really is a change from a guy who comes in in Theo 1 to the man who we're sending out in Theo 4, ready to be ordained a priest. And and then that process continues throughout his priesthood, so formation never really ends. Yeah, for sure. Um, you, we use the word formation a lot, so you're really forming the whole person. I went to college, I got an education. But if you go to the seminary, you get formation. It's more than just information that I can go use in my job. That's one component of it, but formation is, is really meant to be this, this more holistic thing. What role does the seminary play in forming good holy men to be priests beyond just, you know, 
a bunch of information. Yeah, that's right. Them. Great question. And this actually, I think, sh really, e even the change in shift in language is something probably in the last 20 years sure. in the church has become more more prominent. I think when I was, again, a young person, uh, the, the common phrase was, I'm going to go study for the priesthood, or he's going to school to take classes to be a priest, a, a very much kind of an academic sort of a degree kind of mode. Um, used to be, in fact, that uh, when I went to seminary, the, the Vatican congregation that was in charge of seminary formation was the Vatican Congregation of Education. Sure. So it's it sort of clearly even in, in the mind of the Vatican. If I remember right, it was Pope Benedict XVI that moved it from the Congregation of Education to the Congregation for the Clergy, signifying that, first of all, this is, this is not just education, qua education, but it actually is a clerical formation, and it is broader than just the intellectual. So we speak now, taking again from John Paul II's writings, and that's been developed over the years, of the four dimensions of formation. And so we would describe those as the, the human, spiritual, intellectual, and pastoral. So to your point of forming the whole person. So we have, um, in fact, we have directors of each of those, you might say, dimensions with, within our seminary organizational chart and structure. We really have experts. Um, we have a full-time psychologist who assists uh, in the human formation piece in particular. Uh, we obviously have the academic piece or intellectual piece uh, with our academic and, and, and faculty and professors at the seminary. Uh, and then certainly we pay have a heavy dose on the spiritual side with full-time spiritual directors, a director of spiritual formation, spiritual conferences, retreats, all those kinds of things, um, opportunities for the men to you know, speak with a spiritual director and celebrate the sacraments and reconciliation. Uh, and then, of course, the pastoral formation. It's all ordered ultimately towards going out into the world. So um, we have a, a longtime pastor who's been assigned uh, now full-time as a formator in the seminary who really brings uh, kind of wisdom of, of what it means to be a pastor and working with the men in their teaching parishes and just imparting those skills they need, how to preach, how to celebrate the sacraments, how to lead a parish council meeting, how to form a leadership team in his parish. Um, some of these administrative leadership kinds of things which are going to be more pastorally oriented. So it's really unlike any, I think, other profession. Um, anecdotally, I, I've heard stories of, uh, nationally of those in seminary formation uh, who've had conversations, for instance, with medical schools, and, and uh, they're kind of amazed at the amount of whole person formation we do to prepare men to be a, a cleric, a clergyman, or a pastor, which, which is unlike any other profession, even though other professions sort of maybe wish they could kind of form the whole person. No one has quite done it in the same way that the church has. So um, we've been doing it for a long time, and, yeah. and it gets a bit of an art, and we're always trying to do better at it. But it is much, much more, to your point, than just taking a class. Sure. So awesome. Uh, you mentioned a full-time psychologist on staff. Mental health is a big topic in our society across the board, but a particular point of emphasis for priests uh, in this day and age, uh, why why is that? Do you think, and and what's being done to to ensure the mental health of of seminarians and priests as they move into? Yeah, well, I, again, ministry. I think it goes back to this um, insight of John Paul II that the priest and his human personality has to be a bridge to Jesus Christ, and so we would say that that human uh, formation is is the foundation. If you think of the building, it's like the building blocks, and if 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 the humanity is and everybody has their stuff, right? I mean, welcome to the human race. We no know doubt. the effects of original sin. Uh, we certainly see in our culture today just challenges uh, growing up and, and whether it may be um, issues from home, uh, broken homes, or uh, what, whatever it is. There's just a lot of stuff in our culture that, that makes it hard to be well integrated and healthy. 
uh, anxieties on the rise, depressions on, this is just not just among young people or seminarians, but just across our whole world. Yeah. Uh, the effects of the internet, the effects of screens. Um, I don't think in some ways we'll even sort of know sort of the, the impact of all this probably for some time to come, but we certainly are seeing it. And I do think that the young men entering seminary in any age are products of their age. So it looks different today than it did when I was a young person. And, and when I was young, it was different than it was, you know, the generation ahead of me. So how can the church today um, not see this as, um, you know, a, a, a weighty a problem, but actually an opportunity? How can we help these men to mold their human personality uh, in such a way that, that they can maintain healthy relationships? Because in order to mediate Jesus Christ, it always happens through our humanity. Mm. So the, the field of psychology has become very important, and not just sort of, sort of a pop psychology or psychology that's kind of a self-help or something, but really grounded in a Christian anthropology uh, with a Catholic lens, uh, knowing the role of grace, knowing the role of, of, of um, forgiveness uh, that needs to happen, knowing that we are weak, uh, but again, really just kind of leaning into uh, the opportunities to grow with God's help and grace to become really the man that God wants each person to be. Um, and so we're just really blessed with, with an outstanding psychologist who knows um, what it means to be a Catholic uh, therapist and psychologist and, and to kind of take the stigma away. I do think yeah. having someone on faculty, in the formation faculties, interacting with the guys, giving formation conferences, has his door open, can do one-on-one, can do groups, can just do a, a little check-in. Uh, one thing that we've started doing now is it happened for many years. The church has always had sort of standard psychological tests before admittance into seminary. Used to be kind of thought, well, this will kind of weed out someone who's just clinically, you know, who's just maybe uh, crazy. And there's better words than that. And that's not obviously a technical word. Sure. But, but now it's, it's really used as a growth opportunity. So this is a tool. And what does this reveal about yourself? So there's kind of formal meetings where uh, the, the new seminarian can meet with our psychologist, go through the psychological report, meet with the formator. What are some, what does this suggest for areas of growth? So we don't see it as kind of a, a negative thing, a hoop you have to jump through just to kind of get ordained, but actually we're about the business of growth. And, and that goes again throughout our entire life. And that should be the case, again, really in any profession. I just think it's a privileged atmosphere in the seminary where there can be the, the fraternal support, uh, the sacramental support, the prayer support, uh, and, and it really is, is a place that even if a man doesn't end up being ordained ultimately, um, all seminarians are going to be growing and will become, I think, better men because of the process, whether they end up maybe going to be uh, married and having a family or going into the world in some way. Um, it's just a great opportunity to grow and mature. Yeah, absolutely. So that's sort of the internal piece. Now you're also preparing men to go out into a world that's kind of crazy, is yeah. you know, deeply divided, politicized. Um, relativism's on the rise, you know, all these, all these problems that all these we, we isms, talk about, ad nauseum, yeah, lots right. of isms. So um, how, how is the seminary serving as a solution? How, are we, how do you prepare sure. men to go out into all that and, and uh, improve the situation, for lack of a better term? That's right. Well, one, one invitation, and I made this to our seminarians, and again, it's certainly in our, in our documents on priesthood formation, is that they need to be men of communion. Yeah. Uh, so to be a man of communion, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't just mean that we, um, you know, try to sort of seek peace at all costs and avoid conflict and just be nice. Uh, but it is, it does mean that, uh, that our ultimate union is found in Christ. So communion really goes back to being in communion with Christ. And 
I think the only way for our parishes uh, to be united, for our church to be um, united in the midst of a very divisive, polarized world, has to be something more than just kind of politics, has to be more than just kind of the latest winds of the day or the latest, you know, uh, trends or fads. That's all changing. What is unchanging is the person of Jesus Christ, uh, is his call to greatness that he gives to us, is the invitation we have ultimately to spend eternal life with our Father in heaven. So, so we want men who are deeply convicted in the, kind of in their bones of sort of uh, what's the big picture, where is God calling us to be, and then to be inviting people to kind of set aside the, the, the little differences and, and enter into relationship with one another and really be that source of union found only in Christ. I think that's the only way uh, forward. So we need to be um, patient. We need to be listening. We need to be uh, outgoing. Um, it's very easy, I think, again, in our world to kind of retreat to sort of just sort of the camps we feel comfortable in, but ultimately that call to be a man in communion means where we want to invite the whole world. Jesus Christ came to save the entire world, the entire human race. Um, so our priests have to be able to build relationships and, and get out there and invite everybody to experience this. How you do that, again, there's an art there. Some are better than others. Some of this is, is opportunities. You make mistakes and, and you know, you, you, you go back and ask forgiveness and you maybe you that didn't work, and you get a little bit of mentoring and encouragement along the way. So our men are going to make mistakes, there's no question, but can we do it in such a way that we can just, again, be patient with ourselves and with others and keep, the, I think, the big picture in mind? Yeah, absolutely. It's a good lesson for all of us. Absolutely, so, yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people, I think, might not know that the seminary, at least the St. Paul Seminary, in your case, isn't just for men discerning the priesthood. It's for men who are already priests. There's offerings for that. There are offerings for uh, the diaconate and laymen and women. So tell us a little bit about that. Are, are people, you know, surprised when they learn that, you know, hey, I'm a, I'm a lay person who's interested in graduate theology. I can do it at the seminary, you know, those sorts That's of things. That's right. Yeah. So obviously the name seminary, you know, I mean, it, in its original uh, context, obviously was referring to those men who are preparing to be priests. So, so that is still our, you might say, sort of our foundational uh, signature program. Yep. Our mission statement reads uh, like this. It says that... Um, the mission of the St. Paul Seminary is to provide integrated Catholic formation for those called to serve as priests, deacons, or lay leaders in their local church. So, so what we do is this, this integrated formation. We spoke a little bit about that, the four dimensions, the, the human, spiritual, pastoral, intellectual. Um, and, and priests is first in the list, but, but, but as you pointed out, we also are sort of a center of formation for those who are called to be deacons. So we do the permanent deacon training uh, for the archdiocese here and kind of exploring opportunities, how we might expand that. And then also lay leaders. So uh, whether that be those who are pursuing uh, a formal graduate degree, we offer two different graduate degrees um, that our lay leaders can, can participate in, the Master of Arts in Theology and a Master of Arts in Pastoral Leadership, or whether that be some of our other programs. We have a certificate in Catholic School Leadership, for example, where we're trying to um, invite sort of rising leaders in Catholic schools to learn about leadership, to learn about sort of a, a Catholic lens and to assist them in their work of, of leading Catholic schools. The Catechetical Institute um, has a pretty large footprint here in this area and has expanded beyond as well, which is really an opportunity for just kind of regular folks in the parish to come to know the catechism or grow in gifts of the Holy Spirit or grow in ability to be a discipler and an evangelizer. So a lot of things happening at the seminary. And because of that kind of expanded mission, to, to train not just those called to be priests, but also deacons and lay leaders, we can sort of harness the expertise that we have from our outstanding faculty 
and then imagine how that can serve other needs in the church. But it, it is an ecclesial project, so that part of the mission that says it's, it's for service in the local church. It, it's a call, it's a vocation to serve. Um, I'm not as much interested in sort of, you know, just, just kind of taking class just because I, you know, have an interest. That's okay, but more importantly, I really want men and women who are committed and want to go into the world and really begin to transform our world for Christ. Um, there is so much brokenness in the world today. We need, back to our tagline here, joyful Catholic leaders to be present into the world. And, and we realize that's not just the job of the priest. In fact, arguably, it's more important, I would say, for the laity to be the ones going into the world. That really is their, their proper role, is the transformation of the temporal order to make the, the world a deeper reflection of gospel values. So I think it, it makes eminent sense that we can harness the expertise at the seminary and then kind of deploy that not just for priests, but also for our deacons and lay leaders. Absolutely. No pressure, fellow laymen that's, and women that's out right, there. That's right. And it is kind of <laughs> cool, I think, you know, and, 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 you know, it takes a little bit of educating to say, yeah. you know, lay people can go to the seminary and what that means. So we're obviously not going to be as rigorous a formation. They're not going to be residing at the seminary. They're not going to be having all the stuff a seminary does. But, but we do want to pay attention to those dimensions of formation uh, and in appropriate ways adapt that insight um, to, the, to the lay vocation as well as the deacons. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you've been on the job coming up on three years in January. A couple things have happened in the world since then that have made <laughs> your, your role uh, a little bit interesting. If you could go back... Is that Minnesota <laughs> interesting? Yeah, Minnesota <laughs> interesting. interesting. That's what they yes. got picked up. Yeah, yeah you right. picked up on the jargon pretty That's quick, right. uh, as I've had oh, to, yeah. too. I haven't picked up the accent quite yet, although when I go home to Nebraska, sometimes people say it comes out a little bit. So, <laughs> um, you know, if you could go back a couple years, three years, and, and, and tell yourself one or two things that would be good to know now, I mean, what, what would you say? Oh, wow, that's a hard question. Um, Here's how to deal with a global pandemic. I was going to say, it's like, just kind of be patient <laughs> with myself. I yeah. mean, I, I think, um, don't try to do everything all at once. Um, it'll be okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think with the pandemic and and so much of those things, they're sure. just sort of moments there where you're like, how on earth are we supposed to navigate all this stuff, you know? Um, but somehow God has a way. So I think just to kind of... Um, yeah, I guess I would encourage my myself when I go back in time to be patient and to have just that deep surrender and confidence that God always has a way forward. So we've been through a lot, and um, really in the end, I think our, our seminarians and our other um, uh, lay leaders, other students, those part of our wider seminary family, we've all persevered. And yeah. um, one thing we're kind of talking about this year is emerging stronger. So in spite of uh, a lot of challenges, numbers are up. Uh, support is up. I think people are seeing good things happening. We've certainly locally had the the racial tensions and, and um, all that stuff on the heels of George Floyd following the pandemic. I mean, that was just a wild time. And you're like, what is happening to the world? Yeah. Um, and yet somehow the truths of the gospel are always true. They, they remain forever and we find our freedom in Christ. So I think we just have to not be discouraged, um, but just kind of read the signs of the times and, and keep doing what we're doing. Sure. I mean, if anything, if you're, if you're able to take a step back in those moments, it kind of reminds you why you're doing what you're doing. That's right. It? Yep, that's right. And so, um, you know, we've been reflecting um, as a presbyterate. You mentioned ongoing clergy formation. Yeah. So recently, uh, Monsignor James Shea from the University of Mary presented to the clergy here. One of our, another outreach of the seminary is to, to form those already ordained, yep. as you mentioned. And so there's different retreats and workshops and all kinds of stuff, but kind of a clergy study day. And uh, he was reflecting on the theme. Of, of just how our culture has changed, even really within, he and I are about the same age, you know, within our lifetime, 
um, sure. from the, the transition from Christendom to the apostolic age. And, and not that we were literally Christendom where sort of kind of a state-sponsored religion and, and that kind of a thing, but where there was a largely Christian or even Catholic culture uh, in many ways that that has kind of just disappeared within the last 50 years. And so what does that mean for us today uh, as we're forming Joful Catholic leaders? It's not so much to maybe maintain institutions that were there previously, but actually to go deeper into the world, to be that kind of that frontline person who can invite people to discover the great story of Jesus Christ um, and to, to kind of sort of begin anew in, in, in some ways. So, yeah, it was just a, it was a very thought-provoking thing. And, and I think part of another challenge, and maybe I go back in time, is how to sort of find time in the midst of the normal busyness of the schedule yeah. to sort of ponder some of these deeper things. Mm. Because I do think um, we, need, we do need to adapt to the age that we're in. And um, that does take some thought and creativity. And it's not just sort of turning out widgets like we've always done. So how can we be nimble and adapt to our current culture? We have a great board. Um, so there's resources out there. And we certainly had good conversations at the board level. Uh, about some of the, the challenges of our day. So I do think that we, we have a, we've assembled a great team of kind of thought leaders and sure. um, I would probably do well to, to tap into that a little bit more. It just gets hard with, with stuff that has to be done today yeah. you know, in the busyness of, of running a seminary. Yeah, so. and, and that's a challenge for, for any leader, a CEO, a rector, a president, whatever it is. Are there any things you you build in to get that time to reflect in your, in your own life and schedule? Yeah, you I mean, you know, personal or anything, but it's, it's yeah, all well, need, right? right. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's things, you know, so, so, you know, annual retreat, um, you know, you always want to make, you know, that's a priority every year. Sure. I've been blessed to have some opportunities for kind of ongoing uh, formation. So one thing I did early on was sign up for a course um, that actually Bishop Cousins helped to found called the Seminary Formation Council, which kind of help seminary formators do the work we've been asked to do. So I've never done priestly formation before, at least formally, and then here I am, you know, the head of a seminary. I better learn how to do this, you know. <laughs> so, so any of those times when you can tap into sort of other peers who are doing this kind of yeah. thing nationally, I think that's a chance for kind of the creative conversations. We had a good strategic planning process with our own staff and board, and that kind of helped us think about the bigger picture things. So you do have to kind of build time in the schedule, otherwise you can get lost in the minutia. Sure. All right. Let's talk about you a little more, Father Taphorn. How did, how did you end up here? What's kind of the backstory for, for getting shipped up from Omaha? To yeah, well, I mean, it's a little unusual. To, I mean, typically a, a priest, our listeners may or may not know that priests are what we call incarnated. So we're we sort of take, literally, it means it, we're, we're enfleshed, we're, we're rooted in, in a local church, in a diocese. So yeah. I pertain to the Archdiocese of Omaha, that my bishop is Archbishop Lucas, George Lucas. I have obedience to him. So it's a little unusual. Normally, priests are signed within their diocese, to parishes, schools, apostolates within their diocese. But it can happen that you, that you might be asked to, to serve elsewhere for a period of time. And so that's kind of what happened here. Um, the sort of behind-the-scenes thing was having been a good friend, really back to another raven, uh, our dear friend here, Bishop Cousins, the auxiliary bishop uh, here in St. Paul, and now um, headed to Crookston to be the, the new Dawson bishop there. It was a friend of mine back from uh, 30 years ago, back in undergraduate at Benedictine. So when there was a need here and a vacancy, um, he was head of the search committee, and I think kind of got my name in the mix. Sure. And um, yeah, one thing led to another, and uh, he called me one day and asked if I'd be interested in, in applying or being considered. And 
I think my first reaction was no. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, something along the lines of like, well, my bishop would never let me go. To yeah. which she said, well, I've already talked to your archbishop. So I felt a little betrayed. He's that pulling those strings. Yeah, he's pulling those bishop strings cousins. behind my back. But, um, you know, it, it was a good process. And like anything, I think part of the discernment is both the... You know, it's 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 not quite the same as applying for a job, but it happens in job applications. The, the the hiring party needs to get to know you, and and the prospective employee needs to get to know who they might be working for. So there's a little bit of that dance for yeah. a little while. Well, all right, I guess I'll have a conversation. You get to know me. I'll get to know you. It wasn't on my radar. I loved what I was doing. I loved the Newman Center in Omaha, um, JP2Omaha.org. Check it out. Um, you know, just a great place and and really the love of 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 my heart and having built that uh, newman center thought i'd be there a long time but you know when the lord moves and um then you need to pay attention so sure well on the you mentioned the the connection to bishop andrew cousins you go way back you're kind of part of the way i understand it sort of a little i guess informal fraternity of priests who stayed in touch throughout the years since your college days really how how much has, of a yeah. role has that played in your life well i mean you know it's funny i i would tell my college students and i guess it, it holds true for these old maybe for the seminarians who are a bit beyond college but i used to tell my college students you know pay attention to who your friends are in college because they're probably going to be your friends for yeah. life you know and so there were a number of us in those years um in the late 80s early 90s down at benedictine uh, who just kind of became friends, and, and we sort of pursued the Lord together, and um, there's kind of those expressions, you know, holiness comes in groups, you know, mm. and so kind of being spurred on. Uh, so there's about eight, ten of us that ended up being ordained priests uh, all around the same time, and uh, different levels of friendship within that, but um, yeah, several are very dear friends and have kept in touch over the years, and Bishop Cousins is among them. Uh, the abbot of, of Benedictine now, or St. Benedict's Abbey was my old roommate, you know, Abbot James Albers, and uh, Father Brendan Rowling is a dear friend, a monk of St. Benedict's, who's actually doing some pastor work up here in our neighboring diocese of New Ulm right now. So uh, these are just uh, men that I still keep in touch with and a couple others as well. And uh, it's been a great gift for my priesthood. Yeah. Okay. The you and Bishop Cousins going to jail story. It's oh, been told dear. before, but but you've been to jail together. Let's, we have been let's to jail. Let's hear the, 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 all the details. All the details. I mean, we might not that have are, time that for are all the details. <laughs> but, uh, okay, Cliff Notes. Maybe. Cliff Notes version. For so, public consumption, yeah. That's right. So I know this is this is always be, be fun, too, when, with young people, you know, when eyes get really wide yeah. when you talk about Jail? It. Yeah. Yeah, I was once in jail. Actually, several times. But um, <laughs> so... In, for I should say right up front, it was for pro-life efforts, so yep. peaceful pro-life efforts. Yep. So there was a movement back in the day, back in the early 90s, called Operation Rescue, which is still around a little bit, not, not quite as prominent as it was back in the day. And the idea behind Operation Rescue uh, was prayerful, nonviolent intervention at abortion centers with the aim of trying to save the lives of unborn children. So never violence, you know, we're not into, you know, bombing clinics or things like that or using any kind of hateful speech. That's good. Um, yeah. yeah, it's always about uh, loving the mother and loving uh, the, the the child within her womb, yeah. and then simply trying to uh, sort of intervene when you know, kind of the, the analogy here is if somebody is if you're if you're witnessing to somebody who's in the process of being killed, you need to intervene and do what you can to stop that that action. And I think we would all kind of see that as heroic. You know, if you're on a street corner and you see somebody pulling a gun and ready to you know murder somebody else, the heroic thing would be to to intervene as best you can, sure. do what you can to try to stop this. And it's not. I mean, and, and if we really take the humanity of the unborn child seriously, that's what's happening, uh, sadly, every day at abortion centers across the country. So this movement um, 
was um, began and, and Bishop and I doing. And I think there's certain freedom in college years and a certain, um, I don't know, just kind of like, you know, there, there's less obligations. You're not married. You don't maybe don't have all these other, uh, not really employed. You know, there, there's a little more, you're not providing. People aren't really dependent on you. There's a certain freedom, I think, that kind of yeah. came with that age. Um, so we, we would basically, um, on several occasions, go with a group of other uh, largely Catholic or Christian folks and prayed abortion centers and sit down in front of the doors. And then um, those who were scheduled to have abortions wouldn't be able to get in. Then we have sidewalk counselors available to assist those and offer other alternatives. So having done that several times, and then of course, then, then the arrest comes for trespassing or refusing to leave or whatever, uh, whatever may be the case. So yeah, but um, there, there's just sort of, yeah, interesting stories about kind of the first time that I think, <laughs> you know, he and I were uh, sort of where the judge whaps the hammer down and it, it was like, you know, several days in jail or something. I mean, it wasn't like, you know, months or things like that. But I remember just like, oh, wow, this is real. Like, this yeah. is happening, you know. And then he gets taken off and I get... And then eventually after getting processed, this is in Omaha, the Douglas County Correction Center, not quite sure, like, am I going to end up in the same play? You know, it just is all very s- surreal. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, it, you, know, you get the, the blue jumpsuit and, or orange, whatever it was, you know, and the slippers and you know, so you, you eventually just kind of get processed and then kind of led into the into the cell block area. Yeah. And um, and I come in and who's there smiling? But I called him Drew back in those days. There's Drew. Drew comes and he's like, hi, Joe. You know, and he's smiling. Let me show you around. Here's the, you know. And so we oh ended up being, God. it was really hilarious. So <laughs> there were like, you know, different, yeah, sleeping areas and, and place to eat and restrooms. And it was just, it was all just kind of surreal, but he had like already like, you know, made connections. It was kind of sort of putting me at ease. Of and course. So anyhow, it, uh, yeah, lots of stories from, from those jail days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, from the jail days, from the jail that days, era of your that life. That era of yeah, my life, well, that's right. And look at you now. Look at me now, <laughs> You've that's overcome right. your criminal history <laughs> that's right. to become a rector. That's so, right, and he a bishop. So. And he a bishop, so, yep. Uh, well, thanks for sharing. Um, you're a pretty active guy away from the office. How many marathons have you run? Well, no? four. Um, you're still recovering from the last one. Yeah, I'm just kind of lazy right now. That was a, several weeks ago. Yep. And I haven't actually been, I, I've been getting back to the gym just a little bit. But uh, sure. yeah, I, 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 now it's time I got to start getting back at it. So. Yeah, good for you. Yeah. So four marathons. Um, how'd you get into running? You know, I think it's, um, I, it was one of my assignments in Omaha. And it's actually when Archbishop Lucas was arriving and um, to be our new bishop in 2009. And sure. I was in the chancery and was going to be kind of his, sort of his right hand yep. in all things. And I moved just before he came, changed residences to a rectory closer to the chancery so I could be closer to be able to do the work I needed to support him. And it, it was um, a parish that had basically right next to a public park. Um, and I remember kind of like, that's a lovely park. And before I would go to the gym or maybe swim or do this or that. And then, I don't know, it was just kind of like, there's all these nice trails here. And so I just kind of started, um, and it may, probably maybe just, just a, a need to kind of release stress and stuff like that and just get a little more active. So started running and then I signed up for a 5k and that was kind of fun. How about a 10k? That was kind of fun. I should do a half marathon, you know, and just kind of one thing leads to another. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so I've been, been doing that over the last probably 10 or so years, 10, Very 12 good. years. Yeah. Well, that's great. And congrats on, on finishing your Thank fourth you. at the Twin Cities a few weeks ago here. It's fantastic. Did that one with, uh, couple seminarians and local that's right so there was a couple of one sjv seminarian one of our seminarians and several priests here from the archdiocese so yeah we had a little we didn't really stick together but we got a photo at the beginning and then kind of sort of waited for each other at the end so just folks ended kind of at their own times and 
Um, I don't know that anybody had a particularly great. I'd say the St. John Vianney man had the best race. Uh, uh, others of us kind of got all cramped up, and uh, I'm getting older, so hey, I've got finished. gray hair, and I'm getting old. So you finished. I don't know. That's uh, that's a lot better <laughs> than a lot of us can say. So, uh, you also own a sailboat. How did you well, get into sailing? Yeah. So I mean, I. Um, you know, good question. So as a kid, uh, we, my dad owned a, a Hobie Cat 16, which is actually the kind of boat that I found on Craigslist last spring. And so just super fun memories of yeah. sailing. And it was kind of just the thing that I think was sort of my dad's way of kind of doing activities with the kids. He was always busy during the week, you know, worked pretty hard. Mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I think that was kind of looking back kind of his way to sort of have his quality to probably give my mom a break too because if he could take us out sure. on the boat on the weekends on Saturdays mom would probably get a little bit of a break so uh, it was interesting my dad passed a little over a year ago and there were so many stories around the time from my siblings and I and others about the sailboat and it just kind of got me thinking again like gosh that was really kind of yeah. a kind of a thing that kind of united united us as a family and super fun memories not long after actually I was running around one of the lakes in Minneapolis I forget if it was Nokomis or, or one of the lakes there and I, I see these Hobie cats out, you know, and I'm like, people do that up here. I'm in Minnesota. This is the land of 10,000 lakes, you know. So then I made the fateful step of just for kicks, I'll just for kicks look on Craigslist. Well, you know how that goes once you start looking for something. So actually there were several inexpensive, you know, like, so the boat I bought was, you know, actually 40 years old, almost 40 years old. So they last a long time sure. and um, wasn't a huge investment, but but it has been a lot of fun this summer. So it's been a little bit of a project, you know, something that old you do need to, kind of keep tweaking and repairing and this and that. So it's a little bit of a hobby and it's been fun to get some of the priests and seminarians and others out this yeah. summer. Yeah, you don't keep it to yourself, which is nice. If that's right. Pictures I even and got stories to go. And yeah, that's yeah, right. I made it on yeah, the yeah, boat. Yeah, yeah. We won't talk it. about that. Uh, okay, yeah. But uh, yeah, um, my favorite story is one of our formators and you going out Father Floater and him just, you know, had a completely great time. flying off yeah, the side. Yeah, and, and you capsized got, it got a little crazy and that got day, crazy so. and wild yeah. wind. And Nothing yeah. like that happened when I was out there. Fun which stories, is, which yeah. Is good. So, okay, last question, Father, and we'll get you out of here. Um, how do you how do you yourself live joy? You know, we're talking about joyful Catholic leaders and, and that kind of joyful, authentic leadership. How do you... How do you how do you retain joy? How do you choose joy? Just how does how does joy? Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, life? I mean, this sounds kind of pious, and I don't mean to sound overly pious, you know, but I mean, our, our joy is ultimately found in the Lord. So I think if we know that where this is all headed, who's won the victory, in a certain sense, there really isn't something the world can throw at us that's going to take that away. Now, obviously, in given moments, there are difficult and stressful moments where, where we're not always experiencing that. But I do think uh, we can kind of reset and remember what's most important. Um, and I think, too, just sort of taking joy in simple things, you know, uh, being able to laugh at yourself, uh, being able to sort of find humor even in um, just situations that maybe you'd rather not pick. But if something's just, I don't know, kind of strike me as funny and, and uh, people come sometimes on my laugh, you know, and um, that's great. I think if we can just sort of not take ourselves too seriously yeah. and recognize that God's put us here, he's got this under control, I don't need to get overly fretful and if i can really help uh lighten things up for other people that's going to be a great gift sure so much good stuff thank you so much for the time father it's you're welcome awesome talking to you today thanks for joining us on this edition of the catholic, joyful catholic leaders show be sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts and follow both the saint paul seminary and saint john vianney college seminary on social media and at semsp.org New episodes will drop every month on the first Friday of the month in honor of Our Lady of Fatima and the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus. Thanks for listening, and God bless.